Welcome to this week's episode of Latchkey Movies, the podcast where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. Today, we are not going to be talking about a specific movie. We are going to be doing a deep dive into ratings. My name is Sarah. I'm the mom of a five-year-old little boy. Happy birthday, little boy! <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, has it? Did. It did. Yeah, it did. It was Oh, last it week. has happened. Well, good. Mm. Yay! <laughs> I'm very excited. Five now. That's yeah, a terrifying five. age. It Sorry. Is. It is. And I'm Briar Harvey. I'm the mom of 18, 8, and 2, which is why I can say quite definitively, 5 is a terrifying age, and for all of you parents of 5-year-olds, I'm sorry for the next year for you it's just it's, it's a fun time they they I are feel like you keep telling me that about every age though well you told me that about four i probably did <laughs> around here five is the frightening fives four uh, is the, the fucking, fucking fours. fours yeah so like i, I mean they're they're more reasonable. You can have conversations, but they're also old enough to start trying to outlogic you right. and, yeah. and bargain and negotiate. And it's very frightening to see this small human do things right. that they are clearly not ready to be doing yet. Or they're like at the point where like timeouts mm-hmm. hold no weight because <laughs> they're like, well, no, I, I can stand up. Like, I'm physically capable of getting off this chair. <laughs> we moved to, I think, in-room quiet time yeah. at that age. Time out is not no. a, a long term. I mean, it doesn't last very long. From about three to four. Because yeah. prior to three, they just don't care. Don't get it. Yeah. And after four, they're like, But I can me, get off this chair. Make me sit in this corner, <laughs> Mom. Make me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good times. It is. All right. So before we start talking about ratings, we do have one correction, I guess. Correction or just additional information to give about Home Alone. Um, We were curious about who currently owns the broadcast rights to It's a Wonderful Life. Mm, I remember that conversation. So it's all sorts of convoluted. Um, <laughs> of course it is. Of <laughs> because course it is. Mergers and acquisitions and the fact that Disney keeps getting the copyright laws extended for like ridiculous amounts of time because they don't because the story there is that Disney doesn't ever want to lose the rights to Mickey Mouse essentially. So every time he comes up for like public domain Disney goes to bat to get copyright laws extended. So this movie is not public domain either. Um and it's a whole situ- or it's a wonderful life when I say this movie is not public domain either and it's a whole tangled convoluted situation involving mergers, acquisitions and derivative works. Of course it does. So in the end what it comes down to is in 1997 NBC obtained the license to broadcast the movie air quotes for a very long time i couldn't actually like literally every article i found that discussed this all said the exact for a very Very long long time time. so i don't know how long so it's all nbc they usually play it a couple of times this time of year contractually it's probably in perpetuity but there has to be buyout clauses sure okay so so that was that's Really, that's all I had between Frozen 2, Home Alone, and The Christmas Chronicles, which is the last time we did a 
mini episode. Yeah. yeah. That's or all we mini. have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. <clears throat> so let's get started then. The deep dive on ratings. Really, the guys, reason- don't leave. Don't leave. I swear <laughs> to God, it's going to be a good time. So the reason this all came up is because we were looking at movies like Space Jam, which I think we've talked about before. I put on the one time for my son, not even thinking about it, just thinking, oh, this is like a movie I watched as a kid. It's totally okay. Um, It's not okay. The language in it is certainly like borderline what I'm okay with my five-year-old experiencing in media directed at him. Like, if in day-to-day life, while we're out and about on the streets, some of these words come through, I'm not going to, like, freak out and yell at people. So the reason we thought we wanted to talk about this was because we've come across a couple of situations now where we've, like, shown our kids movies that may be older or, you know... We've all had that situation where we've sat down and watched a movie that we watched as kids, and when you see it now as an adult, you think to yourself, how did my parents let me watch this movie? There's a lot of those, aren't there? Like, but it seems like standards are very much a product of their time, Mm -hmm. and they have changed periodically through the decades. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well... Why? What, what What? makes this the way that it is? Right. And folks, we don't know either. <laughs> so ratings are like, an, a, the whole rating system is like a notoriously... Convoluted, convoluted complex unclear. system that is full of lots of sticky mm-hmm. fingers in pies. Right. Is and the thing that's important to know. If you really want to get into like the whole like tangled web of ratings and how ridiculous they can be at times you should definitely watch the film this film is not yet rated Mm -hmm. it really goes into it if you haven't seen it it's like a mid aughts 2006 Mm -hmm. i want to say probably um documentary um that definitely is probably worth your time if this is something you're interested in so we're gonna start then with some basic history and the relationship between the Motion Picture Association of America, who is responsible for the ratings that you see on the films, and only films, all of the independent bodies have different rating systems. Mm -hmm. So video games and music and TV shows have different rating bodies than the MPAA. The MPAA is only concerned with film. They are, none of these bodies are specifically sanctioned by the Federal Communication Commission, except that eh, they kind of are. So we're going to get into the history first, and then we're going to talk about how the ratings are arrived at, who does that, and then what those potential standards are. Spoiler alert, so far as we can tell, there are no real potential standards. There's just a bunch of opinions. So we've all got opinions. Here's mine. The original language from the FCC, and I'm going to skim over most of it, but I'll read some particular passages to you. It is a violation of federal law to air obscene programming at any time. 
It is also a violation of federal law to broadcast indecent or profane programming during certain hours. And of course you're asking, what the hell is obscene or indecent or profane? Well, we kind of have standards. So the FCC defines indecent speech as, and I'm quoting here, material that in context depicts or describes sexual or excretory organs or activities in terms patently offensive as measured by contemporary community standards for the broadcast medium. Which is still a load of bullshit. (laughs) So Congress has given the FCC the responsibility for administratively enforcing the law that governs these types of broadcasts. The FCC has authority to issue civil monetary penalties, pay attention, revoke a license, or deny a renewal application. And this is where it all comes down. Because while the FCC doesn't technically have any governance over what the MPAA says about their rating systems, they can absolutely refuse to renew broadcast licenses. And for a movie studio, that would be the end. So... We're not saying that we have these specific standards that you must enforce to the MPAA. We're just saying that if you don't enforce these specific standards, we'll yank your shit. That's what we're saying. But really, do whatever you want. It's fine. It's all fine. The FCC says, and again, I'm quoting... At the same time, the Commission is careful of First Amendment protections and the prohibitions on censorship and interference with broadcasters' freedom of speech. So that means that the FCC is saying that they'll probably hear your complaint and then they're going to make a ruling depending on how they feel that day and whether or not they feel like it might infringe on somebody's free speech. But really, we, again, have no fucking standards here. I'm just... I I keep coming back to the FCC. So they are all appointed by a president and then have to be confirmed by Congress. And there's been... A long line of FCC people, this is political waters that we don't really want to touch in here, just that we want to note that they are appointed by the president. And there we go. So the FCC is, I don't know, making shit up as they go, kind of however they feel like it and enforcing their standards through back-channel pressure and manipulation rather than legislation. Am I... Do I have that about right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds about right to me. So I think something that's really interesting to think about in terms of this and what we know from TV ratings and what we know from... Or TV content ratings and what we know of movie content ratings is when it comes to TV the biggest thing they worry about is losing advertisers. Right. There's so not it's the not, threat. You do have fines that come from the FCC, but mm-hmm. it's 
their biggest threat is the loss of advertising money. And because the studios are set up in finance a completely different way than TV is, um, you'll see a lot more of the MPAA and whoever the governing body is coming down and doling out the fines and restrictions and so the timing of this is actually fortuitous because we've just watched in real time this go down on the hallmark channel right with that advertisement of two women kissing and they walked it back and then they walked it forward Mm -hmm. and then they walked it back again Mm -hmm. and who the hell knows But what that is, is a clear lack of coherent standards, really. It's, is is two women kissing an indecent thing? Or is it the social norm that we would like to be distributing on a large scale? Right, right. I mean, legally, it's not indecent. No, we've determined, if they can get married, then probably we should be okay with them kissing in public. No? Right. So it's just, it's, and it's interesting, too, the way so much of what is said and done in both TV and film for these situations is not clear. Or something that I find interesting, and they go into, and this film is not yet rated, is how different the standard, standards are when it comes to men versus women. So... Let's start at the top, then. The creation of the Motion Picture Association of America was in 1968 by a guy named Jack Valenti. Jack Valenti was the president of the MPAA until he retired uh, 38 years. And at the time of the creation of the MPAA, he was a, the press, uh, let's see, he was, what would we call that now? The press liaison. He was the press liaison for Lyndon B. Johnson. Prior to that, he was the press liaison for John F. Kennedy. And so... He also was in World War II, um, first lieutenant in the Air Force, received the Distinguished Flying Cross and Air Medal. So, oh, among, I guess, three other potential decorations. So, he, pretty well-known, well-respected guy at the time, presidential aide, and none of us were listening were probably alive during the time of Johnson, but from what I hear, he was a force to be reckoned with, and everybody who was around him was kind of a force to be reckoned with. So, in 52, he founded a an advertising agency, and then was asked to serve JFK, and in those days... I don't know. Is there still really any honor in serving at the pleasure of the president? I guess it depends on the president, right? In those days, it didn't matter what your party was. If you were asked to serve, you did. 
if you were asked to take up a position in the White House or as an ambassador, you were more or less expected to drop what you were doing and go do the thing that you were told to do. So Lyndon Johnson told Valenti, hey, we need the Motion Picture Association of America. Go make it. And he did. And then in 1968, he created the first film rating system. So it was initially comprised of four distinct ratings. And so we should preface that by saying that prior to this was the Hayes Code. And the Hayes Code is a whole nother story to get into. It doesn't typically... Um, apply to anything we cover but this is where you'll come you'll come into things like films you couldn't have somebody on a bed they had to have one foot on the floor or films never showed toilets or you know there's a whole mess of that so this is what predated the mpa uh double beds remember the twin yeah. beds <laughs> that was that was all haze coat so we thought we were doing good things. It's the 60s. We can, we can have better standards. So we had four ratings, G, M, R, and X. The M rating was soon replaced by GP and then changed to what we're all familiar with is the PG in 1972. The X rating proved troublesome and continues to prove troublesome because it was embraced by the pornography industry. They were like, yes, we're X-rated. Mm -hmm. And so they had problems with it. So they changed it in 1990 to NC-17, which is what the current standard is today. That standard is uh, adults only based on, well, we'll get into that. So do you know what the first ever G-rated film was? Tell me what the first ever G-rated film was. The first ever G-rated film was called Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. <laughs> it's a 1968, essentially, like, um, cheesy horror movie. Uh-huh. There's blood, head wounds, a stake to the heart, and that was the first ever G-rated movie. So... So what we're saying is, it started bad, yeah. and it's just gotten more questionable since. Um, I actually found a pretty interesting article that gives you 15 movies you won't believe are rated G. And they're, for the most part, they're all from, like, the 68 60s. time period. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Green Berets, Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Dracula is Risen from the Grave, Romeo and Juliet, the one that we've all seen in class. The one where you get to, like, oh, see a boob. Oh, there's Yeah, there's a boob yeah. in that one. Right. But yeah. it's G. It's rated it's G. G. Yeah. And Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which is terrifying. <laughs> but I guess that one makes sense. No, that sense. one's actually fine. So it I'm was like, gonna... you can see from early on, um, it wasn't quite clear what should be what. And the general audience signifier for the G rating was thought of as a more this is actually a general audience a general audience it wasn't originally thought to be like these are kids child movies. audience right. that's the difference because and the best example i think is probably 2001 a space odyssey because for a general adult audience anybody can and probably should see that film 
But if you're five years old, man, some do of that shit. Do you want to see that movie? No. You probably don't see that movie. Will you sit through that movie is also another question. Right. So that, that wasn't, I mean, that's pretty obvious that that wasn't always meant to be like the signifier for mm-hmm. a kid's movie. But it shifted that way probably sometime in the 70s. We don't really know. And the reason we don't really know is that the MPAA has always been very secretive about how they rate things. And I kind of understand why. So if I am a producer or a director and I understand that I can show this much side boob or a nipple for 15 seconds Mm -hmm. instead of 30 seconds, I will, every single time, push it entirely to those limits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, you hear about all the time movies or TV shows saving, like, their one F-bomb. Right. You know. Um, Something I think is interesting is the creation of the PG-13 rating. Mm Mm-hmm. Were you going to go into that at all? No, go ahead, Okay, so the PG-13 reading is directly attributed to Steven Spielberg. Because at the time, your ratings were G and then R. Or PG and then R. And when he released Jaws in 1977, it was rated PG, but he felt that that was too much for kids. Like, Jaws was too violent for kids. But he also didn't feel like his movie warranted an R rating. So he, when he... um directed Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And Gremlins also both received PG ratings. And he felt that he just was, after those three experiences, he just felt like that was just, there needed to be a middle ground there. And that was, uh, he suggested the PG-14 rating, but the next year the MPAA went with PG-13 instead. So Red Dawn was the first movie to be given a PG-13 rating. Thanks, Steve. Let's I mean, it makes, I totally get where he's coming from. Like, absolutely. PG to R is a big jump. Is and a there's a lot that jump. can be covered in between that. Mm-hmm. Like, although they still weren't quite sure about the standards even then. So I'm thinking particularly Stand By Me is when? 84, 86, something like that. Yeah. But it is an R rating. And probably should have been given PG-13 by virtue of the fact that it is about that age. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean... How do we protect our children from their own lived experience? Right, right. And I mean, that people even recently had the same kind of issues with the movie Bully. Mm -hmm. I think, was that given like an R rating? Mm -hmm. And they tried to get it knocked down because it was relevant to people of that age. Right. There is an appeals process for the MPAA, but there is a, it, it requires a certain number of votes from the people on the committee to allow it to be re-reviewed. So let's talk about that review process. Yeah. <laughs> and the committee. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about next is straight out of the MPAA's classification and rating rules, which is a document you can get online. It's, It's the description of what you have to do and how you have to handle things when you're submitting to the MPAA. So a motion picture submitted for rating is viewed by designated members of the rating board, including at least one senior rater. 
After the raiders view the motion picture, each raider submits a preliminary ballot to the designated senior raider, giving the raiders view of the appropriate rating of the motion picture. The raiders who viewed the motion picture then discuss the appropriate rating and reach agreement on a rating for the motion picture. After the raiders determine the rating of the motion picture, each raider prepares the final ballot with his or her rating for the motion picture and details the content of the motor picture, motion picture that in his or her view require the rating. The Raiders' ballots are treated at all times as confidential and not disclosed outside of CARA. CARA is the classification and rating this administration. So, I mean, that reads like a legal document, right? (laughs) I'm sorry, my eyes glazed over, and I'm sitting here, I'm your co-host, I should technically be interested in the things you have to say, but that was horrible, Sarah, horrible! So basically what happens is they... Okay, so a simpler way to say it. I'm going to kind of go into the information about the Raiders. We've talked about this before, about how the MPAA is notoriously, like, closed-lipped, and you don't get a whole lot of information about them. Well, that is absolutely true when it comes to these mysterious Raiders. (laughs) They're anonymous. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows who they are. um, Except for those few senior Raiders that are on the board or committee or whatever. And um, in two... October of 2018, the MPAA actually released information about the Raiders, like, and it was kind of, like, big news, because, like, they never actually give you any information about these people. I think this was an exclusive in the LA Times, and much like all of the other crap that we've mentioned, we'll have all of this in the show notes. So they released a report um, in October 2018, and it it revealed that the board's made up of 8 to 13 people, and that includes the senior Raiders. Uh, everybody besides the senior raiders remains anonymous but they must have children between the ages of 5 and 15 when they join and they're required to leave when their children turn 21 they can serve as long as seven years so the way that that was written i didn't understand it wasn't clear if it was their term could be up to seven years or just nobody's served longer than that because like whatever they wanted to move on with their lives <laughs> the the limitations on children's age and things along those lines don't apply to any of the senior raiders. Okay. We so, assume that you're a senior raider because you're had kids and are still reasonable enough to remember what you would have been thinking. Or you're just some crony. That's the way I see it. I was trying trying sarah (laughs) like trying to not make this about the politics of it all it's about the politics way to burst my oh yeah all of this (laughs) is so political if we impart nothing else know that this is all political all the way through so as of the time that that report was released in 2018 there were nine full-time and part-time raiders they consisted of five mothers and four fathers they were from california illinois new york ohio maryland and hawaii their professions prior to becoming raiders included finance social work construction education customer service and chiropractic care i want to know how you get this job because i would like to i know i do too i was curious about that I, I don't know. So while, while they serve as raiders, they have to live in L.A. And they watch the movies together during the raiding process. Um, so, like, you don't get to go home and watch it. 
but I'm sure they have like nice seats, right? I would. Oh, imagine. I'm sure I, it's it's L.A. There's got to be figure... a private screening room with the really nice recliner chairs, you know, with the so that really holders. makes me think, though. It's how a private many movies theater. are released in a year? How many movies are these people watching? Well, that depends. So the most number of movies that was ever rated was um, 940 titles in 2003. Okay. 563 last year. Okay. So let's say last year was a, a small year and 2000 and whatever was oh, a big year. So I guess that was 2017, that so 563 say, oh, right. number. So let's say, I don't know, I'm totally pulling this out of my butt. Let's say they average 700 movies a year, right? Sure. All right. How many working days are there? Let's just assume they work Monday through Friday. Right. How many, that's how many weeks or how many days of work do they have a year? <sighs> I'm going to have to pull out a calculator. Pull out a calculator, please. I don't have one readily available. Okay, I'm, I'm calculating. So if we work 50 weeks a year, time, we'll, we'll get You're them giving vaca- them two weeks of vacation. I am. I'm giving them two weeks of vacation. How about that? That's 250 days of work a year. And how many movies? 700 some? Let's we, say. we just we just guessed 700. But even if it's not, even if it's a bad year and we're not putting out that much, we're still looking at more than 500. That's at least two movies a day. Two movies a day. How much time does that give them for to the whole really, discussion? Right. That's the question the that has to be asked. Because... And I don't think that that doesn't take into account the appeals. Because I no. believe they have to watch anything that's appealed as well. Mm-hmm. So, so how much, like, how much effort can they actually put into this? Like, if you felt strongly enough that a movie should be a certain rating and everybody else in the room thought a different way, it's not like we have a chance for, like, a 12 angry jurors situation here, And we don't actually know what the standards are. So, according to that LA Times article, they vote and then... It, they have to come to consensus. But it doesn't explain what consensus no. is. No. <laughs> is that four f- out of, f- is that five out of four? Is that s- six to three? And what's is the it, process? Like, I, is it actually voting like you would in a juror type situation right. where we're making arguments for the reason? And again, if I'm having to watch two movies, which are on average two hours long a piece and my work day is I, I realize we're really kind of getting into the minutia of this but how can you not i'm assuming that these nine people actually do care right you would think that they would probably not accept this job even with the very large paycheck because i'm sure it has a very large paycheck well they have to relocate and they have to be they're also only in during their time as Raiders. They reside in Los Angeles. We're still assuming fifty work day, weeks of work. So right? Yeah. Maybe they get six weeks of vacation. We Maybe. don't know. And that's not accounting for holidays. That's not accounting for any of that kind of stuff. No. And we're talking about these moves. So a movie is and two hours long, and then we the- have to argue and debate it. And we're not talking about the appeals process. 
I just, I don't see how any of this is actually happening in a meaningful and definitive way. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I think is interesting is it seems to me like the intention of the makeup of this group is supposed to be like a cross section of America, right? Right. Socioeconomically, that can't possibly be. No, and the argument that I'll make without even knowing about knowing these people is is it racially diverse right, too because right. i'm gonna bet it's not i would i would have to guess now the, the odds of those nine people being even even three of them being black or brown is low let's be yeah. honest it's low right so, again, to speak to how much time can they actually put onto each of these movies that they're watching, anything rated PG, PG-13R, or NC-17, so anything not G, mm-hmm. will also be assigned a rating descriptor, and that's like the little box that tells you contains nudity What's or in it that you know, is cartoon offensive. violence or right. whatever. They're also responsible for creating that descriptor. I've changed my mind. I don't want this job. This no. <laughs> sounds like my worst overworked, like, workaholic nightmare, and I actually am a workaholic. Mm-hmm. I, 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 as we record this here on a Sunday before Christmas. <laughs> Seriously, I can't, I can't imagine... So that, that ratings descriptor for each film is determined by the chairperson of Kara or the senior raider in conjunction with the raiders who viewed the motion, pi- motion picture based on oh, the oh, elements. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. I just heard something based on the raiders who saw. I wonder if that means that they don't all watch. Even if there are nine raiders, maybe there's only oh, yeah. a maybe certain they split num- the day. Maybe they split <laughs> So that could, but, but how still could you then, split nine? Right, and then <laughs> if we take five of them to watch the movie, we're really not getting the right. cross section that we're supposed to be getting. Mm-hmm. So another thing that came up in that LA Times article that I found interesting was that they commissioned a study polling outside parents, so not the Raiders. The MPAA right. and Kara commissioned a study polling outside parents as to how they would rate a movie based on content. So this is really interesting because um, I think we've talked about this before. Keep listening. The study showed that most parents would assign an R to a movie when it contained three or more uses of the F word. In terms of sex, a movie will tend to get an R when it features more than one scene of nudity or sex. In the study, parents were more concerned with sexual content than with violence or language. So we've talked about how some movies are so much more violent than we would expect of a kid's movie. And I think that, I mean, the fact that they did this study and these are the results they would get, I'd like to see them redo this study because I've heard I that. I would too. I've heard that as like a major beef with parents in recent years, that the violence is way too high and it's mm-hmm. ridiculous what gets what gets dinged for sexual content versus what gets dinged for violence. But we should talk about the sexual content because the sexism implied in it is really interesting and it probably doesn't swing the way that you would expect. So male nudity tends to get much harsher ratings Mm -hmm. than female nudity. Mm -hmm. Even naked male 
but and right. the one that's coming to mind uh, is probably Total Recall. Yeah. Because, the most recent one or the Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one where there was absolutely no penis. There was just butt. Mm-hmm. And that was what gave it an R rating. There's like never penis. No. Um, and I'm guessing that that's probably like a thing that immediately sends you into like NC-17. Probably. Category. But that bare naked Juliet breast. Yeah. That's fine. That's, that's a G. A G. I mean, That's I don't cool. know that that would be a rated a G today, but... No, it probably wouldn't, but relatively, and so we could that... still say probably PG-13. In a lot of cases, even today, mm-hmm. we're looking at that level of nudity. You can mm-hmm. see nipple, you can see side boob. It's about duration, it seems, mm-hmm. and we're still getting PG-13 for... And then the other part of me goes, well... Isn't that good that we're desexualizing the female breast? Because, but it's, it would be if we were desexualizing it in a way that was about desexualizing it. Mm-hmm. But that's not what's happening. No, here. it's never, it's never. Oh, I know in the film, this film has not been rated, not yet been rated. There's a whole part where they go into the depiction of the female orgasm and mm-hmm. how that directly correlates to how a film will be rated mm-hmm. and how just by cutting out obvious indicators that a woman is having an orgasm and whether that just be like a face not like anything explicit whether it's just a face will determine whether a film can be appealed to a lower so what we're saying is sex is fine if we don't know that she's enjoying it right so just for a little bit of context on what actually what officially puts a film under a rating and like we've said this is all like unclear very unclear because like it doesn't always matter for each film but to receive a g rating the picture must contain nothing in theme language nudity sex violence or other matters that in view of the rating board would offend parents whose children view the motion picture the g rating is not a certificate of approval nor does it signify a children's motion picture some snippets of language may go beyond polite conversation but they are common everyday expressions no stronger words are present in g-rated motion pictures depictions of violence are minimal no nudity sex scenes or drug use are present in the motion picture I'm not going to read all of these for you. I'm just going to do G and PG because that's what relates to us. (laughs) For PG, a PG-rated motion picture should be investigated by parents before they let their younger children attend. The PG rating indicates in the view of the rating board that parents may consider some material unsuitable for their children, and parents should make that decision. The more mature themes in some PG-rated motion pictures may call for parental guidance. There may be some profanity and some depictions of violence or brief nudity, but these elements are not deemed so intense as to require that parents be strongly cautioned beyond the suggestion of parental guidance. There is no drug use content in a PG-rated motion picture. So my biggest takeaway from that is everything is a lot of should and may and could and might and not a lot of this these are the very clear guidelines that you need to follow well that's what i'm hearing i mean so again i understand why we're secretive about the line 
because as a filmmaker, I'll push it as far as I can push mm -hmm. it. But may and should doesn't actually give me much indication of where the line right. is. And like, if anything, reading through this makes me less certain that I'm okay with my kid watching movies based on rating alone. Yeah, I'll be honest. What I've gotten from all of my research here is that I am no longer accepting the MPAA ratings at face value mm -hmm. at all. And I'm pre-screening everything that I'm not sure about. And if I can't pre-screen it, I am, as much as I really don't like the idea of common sense media, I like that it's a place where... I can go if I want to watch a movie with my kid, and I can find out what exactly other people are up in arms about. <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. Two heathens are happy with common sense media over the MPAA. But, like, so the thing about common sense is ratings. And the one that I'll use, because we've talked about it before, was mm -hmm. Happy Feet. Right? So they loathed and despised that movie because of the potential for gay penguins. And yeah. I, you're all missing the right. air quotes because those penguins weren't actually gay. Right. So I guess what I mean by that is I... At least if they're telling me I shouldn't show this movie to my kid, they're telling me why I why? shouldn't show it to my kid. So and I can make the decision on if I'm going to show it to my kid. Yeah, if the objection is gay penguins, then I'm going to go, not oh, objecting it's fine. to that. <laughs> if the objection is heavy drug use, then yeah, I'm going to go Thanks, common sense. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I'm saying that, but they actually do... <clears throat> okay, so... I was looking a couple of months ago at what the standards are to become a Rotten Tomato reviewer. Okay. Because I thought that would be fun for well, us. Well, you watch enough movies, right? Right. <laughs> well, and we have a podcast where yeah. we rate movies. We yeah. could go back in and put in all of the ratings. Yeah. We've been on the air for, at this point in time now, what, 11 months? When yeah, the, just short of a year by this time. Just short of a year by now. We're not old enough. We have to, you have to be, even in niche situations, you have to be consistently creating content for at least two years, according to Rotten Tomatoes. There are a bunch of fan standards, which mm -hmm. you have to have, that we don't meet, mm -hmm. but I was pleased by this. Mm -hmm. What I took away from this was actually Rotten Tomatoes still has fucking standards. They at they, least vet people. They at least are vetting their reviewers mm -hmm. so that when you look at their reviewers in aggregate, you can go, oh, a 99% Rotten Tomato rating actually means something. Right. And so that's where the anonymity of the... MPAA ratings board comes into question again because mm -hmm. I don't know if Sue is a person who gets up in arms about potential gay penguins, right? Mm -hmm. I don't again, know the we, argument We've already made, discussed the right. potential racial demographics that aren't being met here, and I'm sure, honestly, I, I hate to be a conspiracy theorist about it, but that feels almost deliberate to me. Mm -hmm. If if the board was appropriately racially diverse and appropriately di diverse We'd in the know. ways... Fuck, it's Hollywood. Would they <laughs> not 
come out and say, look at us being They would diverse. march him out on stage at the Academy Awards. And Fuck say, yes, they at, would. Look at the ratings board. Look at how amazing, and, and there's three trans people and yeah. eight black people, and it's great. I'm... I'm, I'm being a little hypocritical here, but not that much. Like, Hollywood loves to crow about how woke it is. So if this board actually was, I feel like we'd know. Yeah. I agree. So, our whole point here was to try to figure out why films from the early 90s seem way more lax with their ratings than films do today. And what do you think that is? Do you think it's because because we don't know the makeup of that board, it's very much a like it's just of the time? Do you think we were more lax with what our kids viewed in the '90s than we are today? Mm, I, I want to say, th- and and this is tough for me, having grown up in the 90s, and I feel like maybe I have a little bit of rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. about this, but I feel like we were trying very hard, or our parents were trying very hard in that decade in particular to expose us to the world. Mm-hmm. So, back to why there's been such a shift or what feels like a shift between previous kids movies and current kids movies i'm wondering too if part of that has to do with the adoption of that pg-13 rating and that mid like from early to mid 90s the films just had not been used to that rating being an option and we're still having a hard time filling in that that section you know well let's be honest and i wonder too something i would like to look into is were there just more pg kids movies back then in terms of actual numbers that's a difficult question were there a lot of live action movies when we were kids for us i don't feel like there were like live action kids movies yeah hmm like, I feel like the reason that I love Home Alone so much mm-hmm. is because that it was different at the time. And sure. And it was a live action. I mean, the thing movie. that I can think of right off the top of my head was, like, Richie Rich. That was another I, one. That was, te- that was terrible, yeah. though. It was a terrible movie. I mean, there was, like, Curly Sue. and But that wasn't really a kid's movie. Uh, Matilda? Matilda was that was late that was later yeah yeah I feel like that was later I feel like that was I was a teenager by the time that movie came out I don't know I don't know it's I I don't Casper okay I remember that one Jumanji Hocus Pocus which is like a whole nother conversation on its own like how is that a kid's movie it's the best movie. I, I, we, we can fight about Hocus Pocus another day, apparently. So, just in my very brief skimming here, it seems like a lot of what was, like, a live-action kids movie in, like, the 90s was a little bit more adult-oriented, like mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire and, you know, things along the Parent Trap, Space Jam, which we talked about, 
so I'm just curious if it's just more there's just been a shift in the way media is being created for kids. I will say that in the 90s, I do feel like some of those older movies tried a little harder to include the parents. Mm -hmm. And that some of the movies, particularly now, we've talked about this before, and the reason that we both like Disney so much is that we're still kind of included in the viewing process, but some of the other networks just do not make that effort. Mm -hmm. And I can't sit through the Emoji movie because it's not for me in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But... It's all subjective, is the thing. And perhaps our impressions of these movies are, too, because we were kids then, we're adults now. Who the hell knows? I mean, it's obvious that, like, my parents showed me stuff that they had not watched themselves. And there were things in what I was watching that weren't necessarily appropriate but did i know at the time they weren't appropriate no probably not and does my kid know at this time that these things are not appropriate no No. and so maybe do i need to start stop worrying about that and start thinking about how much went over my head as a kid i think that is an important question to ask how much did go over your head as a kid how much did the stuff that didn't help prepare you for the fact that right. life is kind life of is a hard, cruel place, yeah. right? right? I don't know. There, I, I am not because the stuff that I watched as a kid would not have been appropriate for a kid in any era. But mm-hmm. my dad showed me The Godfather at eight years old, and mm-hmm. I will forever remember it. I'm and I'm looking again at another list of like live action kids movies from the 90s and mm-hmm. it seems like so many of them are more geared towards like young teens. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's potentially a genre that's just not as prevalent these days. Well, the thing is I, I do have to say I like the TV ratings for this one. Right. So, and so I think that we get more of that on TV now. Right, because we have the Y, we have the Y7. Mm-hmm. We have is it TV 14? Yeah, is that there's the something action? like that. But Because the difference between 7 and 14 is honestly profound. The Mm -hmm. difference between 10 and 13 is 2, though. And we're not really... I don't know. We're we're doing a better job on TV, I feel, than we are in film. Film. I don't know. This was fun. I had a good time. Did we give you any answers? No. no. Sorry. <laughs> Did we leave you as confused as you were when you first started listening? Yeah, yeah but probably. so are Sorry we. about that. Yeah. I, 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 hmm. What we can tell you is that if it matters to you, you'll pre-screen it yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what I think it comes that, Yeah, that's the thing that I'm taking away the most from all of this. Pre-screen it or know your the ways that you feel comfortable mm-hmm. researching movies before showing, showing them to your kids. Whether that be listening to us, that would be great. 
That would be great, but we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna hold ourselves up as the kid movie authority by any stretch of the. But imagination. we'll let you know if you need to be worried about gay penguins. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. We we will at least tell you about those gay penguins. Oh my god! You got anything else? I think that's it for me. Yeah, I think we're done. So next time. We are talking about... Zootopia! Yay! We love that movie. It's so good. It's so good. We'll have a good time with that one. Yeah. And then we've got... um, Is it Kung Fu Panda? Kung Fu Panda. We're going to talk about some anthropomorphic... I can't say that word anthropomorphic it's even Animals. in there his name is in there poe is in there <laughs> anthropomorphic yes and then to to cap off all of that fun stuff our next deep dive is gonna be about porn i feel like we need to not call it porn i think we're gonna turn people off by calling it that our next deep dive is going to be into those questionable parts of the internet that kids cartoons keep ending up in porn it's about porn. porn. it might be porn yeah sometimes it's porn sometimes there's tentacles too but like we're not talking about like debbie does dallas no what we're talking about are the ways in which your children are exposed to porn and the ways in which your children's interests are viewed on the like internet and stuff and the way in which your children's favorite characters are treated in some questionable sections of the internet too and this is why you have to be aware of it but we don't have to get all dark and gloomy about that yet because next time we've got zootopia zootopia (laughs) that's fun we'll do zootopia it's fantastic All right, guys, you can find us at Latchkey Movies everywhere you potentially want to interact with us. You can give us a call. It's 402-885-4878. If perhaps you have some secret knowledge about how the MPAA works and you want to spill your guts, we'll listen. We would love to know. We also, uh, if there are any corrections or anything that we need to address on the most recent films we covered or this episode, please let us know. The email address, by the way, is latchkeymovies at gmail.com. And you can leave us a review on iTunes if you love us. I'm assuming you love us. You're still here listening to us talk about iTunes, which is (laughs) at this stage of the game... The most begging I have ever done in my entire life. (laughs) For the love of God, leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.